Welcome to the Weight Loss for Fertility podcast. When you're trying to get pregnant, whether naturally or with the help of a fertility doctor, weight loss can better your chances of success. I'm Dr. Stephanie Fine, and I help you do just that. Let's go. Hello, fabulous. I'm so glad you're here. This is Weight Loss for Fertility the only podcast exclusively for those trying to conceive and lose weight. In this first episode, I'm going to lay the foundation for why weight loss is so valuable in your trying to conceive journey. It can be a game changer for so many reasons, and we'll get into that. But first, let me formally introduce myself so you have some context. I'm Dr. Stephanie Fine. I was trained as an internist, but very quickly saw the way healthcare was structured didn't give me the time I needed to truly take care of my patients the way I wanted to. So I went into academics and research to try to affect change from there. I got my master's in public health and did qualitative research, published a few things, and in that time got married and pregnant. Actually, I was in the process of getting my PhD when I went into labor at 24 weeks. My son was born that night by emergency C-section. I still get emotional at that, and so many years later. But rough starts to motherhood are no joke. I'm so happy to report he is alive and well, thank goodness, but it was a bumpy road with many months in the NICU. I dropped my PhD program and stayed home with him doing all the therapies, and that's a whole other Oprah, but suffice it to say that there are angels here on earth. Meanwhile, I had gained 35 pounds in the 24 weeks. By the way, that is totally not recommended. There will be another podcast on that. (laughs) And I set out to lose it after he was born. It took some time, but I did get it off. And here I am reminded to tell you that I am not a naturally thin person. I struggled with my weight my whole life, up and down 20 pounds, then 30 pounds, then eventually 50 pounds. And that was the time I lost it for good. And I've kept it off now for over a decade and counting. Actually, well over a decade. (laughs) Weight loss became my passion. It's the perfect combination of health and well-being. And once I figured out for myself how to do it, I knew I really could help others. I worked in a weight loss clinic for years, picked up ideas there, and went to uh, medical conferences to get the latest info there. I'll never forget one conference. In one talk, they were presenting the research that showed that weight loss helped people get pregnant. What? What? I had no idea. I had knew <laughs> I knew that it treated and prevented diabetes, it improved cardiovascular outcomes and prevented some cancers, but affecting ovulation and improving carry rates, that was not on my radar. And so the combination of that awesome discovery and my personal passion for rough starts to motherhood got me working exclusively with fertility patients with beautiful results. Ugh, I have to get these pictures up on my website, but the little babies, oh my gosh. They're so, so cute. Those pictures say it all. I got certified as a coach. I stopped officially doctoring and created the best process for sustainable weight loss for those getting pregnant. And when you are also pregnant, and of course, it would work beautifully after delivery, it's simple, safe, and doable. There is no deprivation or restriction allowed. Truly, that will be another podcast (laughs) about why that's so important. In this podcast, I'll be sharing all of it. Weight loss for fertility will tell you the hows, the whys, and the why nots, everything. And today we'll be talking about the big why, why weight loss helps conception. Okay, so let's get started. I was just recently at the ASRM 
conference, medical conference. It's that's American Society for Reproductive Medicine. I saw all your REIs there. So it was so informative. And the studies there reminded us that as BMI goes up, pregnancy rates go down and miscarriage rates go up. And this is all with IVF. Now, it's not known for 100% sure exactly how or why, but the best guesses involve insulin, inflammation, and fat tissue itself. And the truth is, it's like a vicious cycle, like one predisposes to the other and then worsens the, the that one, and then it goes on and on and on. But there is good news, and we will get back to that at the end. But now we're going to talk about insulin and inflammation. And the middleman is the adipose tissue itself, the fat. So I'll say adipose cells make up adipose tissue, otherwise known as fat. And have you ever seen like models of it? It's this like blobby, yellowy kind of tissue. And each of the adipose cells are these yellow sort of oily cells. It's interesting when it's not something that's on your body (laughs) necessarily. I mean, actually, of course, we need some. So there's nothing wrong with it. But when we don't want it on us, that's, that's when we can have our judgments about poor little adipose cells. But so this is a little of an oversimplification, but I think it's useful. So too much insulin can lead to excess fat or adipose tissue, which leads to inflammation. Now, it's not only that linear, but that is one way of thinking about it and, it, and it's helpful. Each thing also, like insulin does other things, adipose tissue does other things, and inflammation does other things, but this is one of the ways that they're directly connected. So insulin leads to excess adipose tissue, which leads to inflammation, okay? And when we have more inflammation, some systems don't work as well as they could. And I think of a tube, I usually think of a vessel that's swollen. So inflammation, whenever I think about that, I think of swelling, and that's because your immune system is triggered and all these cells and and hormones and, and enzymes and proteins come to repair damage. But the problem is, is that Every, everywhere is damaged. And so everywhere you're getting inflammation. And then if I'm thinking of a tube like a vessel, if the entire vessel gets swollen, then there's less room in the middle of that tube. So I just think of swelling when I think of inflammation. That's what's happening microscopically in your body. Okay, when we're talking about inflammation. So let's go back to insulin. That was just inflammation, but we're going to start back at insulin. Key, and it's part of the great news is that we have some control over insulin. Okay, now, obviously not all the control, but we do have some, because when we eat, especially carbohydrates, and when I talk about carbohydrates, I am not talking about fruits and vegetables. I'm always going to be talking when I say carbohydrates of like refined flour and sugar, those things that have been created in a way very processed that do a number on our insulin because there's so much glucose immediately available into our blood system, and then the insulin is spiked. It's very different if you have some fiber with some sugar, like in fruit, protein acts very differently. So things act differently. So the the real culprits really are the processed foods, okay? Which doesn't mean you shouldn't ever want it or have it. It just, it just means that this is what happens. And it's related to insulin, right? So when we get a spike in glucose, like let's say a Snicker bar, it triggers a similar spike in insulin. Okay, so the more glucose, the more insulin. It's just insulin has to follow glucose because glucose flying along in our blood system is toxic. 
to a lot of things. So that's why the we need to, and we need glucose because it's energy, okay? And so whenever there's glucose present, insulin will be present. And that's why like if you're snacking all day long, you're always gonna have insulin on board in your blood system. And this is important because insulin allows glucose to be used by the cells. So it's important that insulin is always around. As I said, it could be toxic if it's just left floating in the bloodstream. So without insulin, the cells do not have access to their energy source, glucose. So they need insulin in order for it to be used by the cells. But then the cells only need so much. So if there's more than the cells need, then it gets stored, which is a great thing for us and as glycogen in the liver. So in case we use up the, it in the cells, we're running far, then we can use some from our liver, which is great. But then if we have more glucose than that, that's when it gets stored as fat, okay? So our only our body knows how much glucose is too much, right? So it's, you know, a magazine isn't gonna tell you, you know, size of your genes aren't gonna tell you, your body knows. And that's gonna be, of course, different for everybody. So we're talking about physiology. That's what I care about is what's healthy for you, not, you know, can you be a size two? It just it just really has nothing to do with that. So we're back to to the storing. And what's important to remember about insulin is that it that's its job, it's storing. It's it's hoarding. It it does that. So when it's around, energy can't be used or burnt well burned, used because it's storing. Right? So when it's there, you can't burn it. Again, so that's like with that snacking, if you have it around, then you're not gonna be able to burn, right? Because of course, you wanna use the glucose that's there and the insulin will let that happen. Okay, I think we're clear on that. (laughs) So um, having glucose and then having insulin come get it is how is usual. That's That's what happens when everything's working properly. But over time, if you're having a lot of insulin and a lot of glucose, then then it can happen that you develop insulin resistance. Now, not everyone's gonna going to develop insulin resistance if they're eating a lot. That's not everyone, but it but it can happen. And it happens a lot. And it happens a lot with certain conditions. PCOS is one of them. Metabolic syndrome is one of them. And just obesity itself is another one of them. So it predisposes you to insulin resistance. Okay. Now, I, I like to think of insulin resistance in this way. It's like protective strategy that our tissues use. Okay. So it's kind of, I was imagining it's like if someone is throwing snowballs at you. Okay. So you don't have any snowballs. You're just standing there and someone starts throwing snowballs at you with the idea that they want to get you all wet. But instinctively, you would crouch down and cover your head with your hands, right? You just crouch. Now, you're trying to protect yourself, but it doesn't actually stop the person with the snowballs, right? You're just you're just sort of protecting yourself. And if someone still wants to get you up, they'll just throw more snowballs at you, okay? And so when the muscles and other tissues become insulin resistant, it means that they need more insulin to get the same job done. So more snowballs. And then you have more insulin for longer periods of time in your bloodstream, Okay, and that, and then what's insulin doing? It's storing whatever glucose it can. So you're remember you're not burning, right? So more storage equals more adipose cells equals more fat tissue. 
So insulin resistance means more circulating insulin, which throws other hormone cascades and systems off balance. That's the other problem with it, okay? An example that's relevant here is this. It's with sex hormones. So increased insulin in insulin resistance can negatively affect sex hormones and therefore ovulation, okay? And we care about that here. High insulin stimulates the ovaries to overproduce androgens, including one called IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, which tells the liver to stop producing binding globulins. And when you don't have these binding globulins, you have more free testosterone. So these binding globulins like testosterone and they bind to them. When testosterone is bound to these proteins, they're not um, biologically available. So they don't do anything. But if you don't have enough of those binding proteins, then there's then you have tons of testosterone just floating around and then it likes to do its job, right? So it's available to do its job, so it will. And it often inhibits ovulation. So we have too much testosterone. You can see this in PCOS and that's, um, you know, it has, the, the testosterone has other effects too there. But this may also be the mechanism for anovulation in someone without PCOS, right? Because if even if someone doesn't have PCOS and have very high amount of testosterone, obviously this is relative just in someone's body, they can have enough free testosterone to inhibit ovulation, okay? Because we know how sensitive the systems are, the sex hormones. I mean, it's really incredible. So a little off makes a difference, Okay. So I, and I mentioned that the adipose tissue itself can lead to insulin resistance. So now you have the, the insulin resistance as part of PCOS, but then also if with the testosterone and the adipose tissue, you can get insulin resistance. That's that vicious cycle we're, we're talking about. So now we see how insulin stores and creates adipose tissue when there is excess glucose. And I just told you that extra adipose tissue remember defined by the body, only your body knows what the level of glucose and insulin that's going to be, that's going to kick everything into overdrive. We, we said that adipose tissue itself can lead to insulin resistance, but it can also lead to chronic inflammation. Remember that first thought we had, that first um, guess we had, which was the insulin leading to adipose tissue leading to inflammation. So Adipose tissue itself is pro-inflammatory. It is not entirely known how, but one idea is that fat cells can be overwhelmed. So sort too much storage, like shoving too much into a drawer or cupboard, you know what I mean? And this causes damage and the damaged adipose cells through physical cell damage and maybe some oxidative stress recruits the repair cytokines, which create the inflammatory response. We sort of talked about that, that immune response. When there's a damaged cell, we have, you know, heroes to the rescue in our body, and they're rescuing the damaged fat cell. But if that's happening all over, then there's it's repairing and swelling, inflaming, inflammatory all over the place. So that system is appropriate for damage, but if it's everywhere, then we have chronic inflammation. And among other things, it can predispose tissue to be insulin resistant. Okay, so Damage and inflammation can predispose insulin resistance. And remember, there we are again. So here's the other thing about adipose tissue itself. It's an active endocrine organ. 
Okay, so when present in excess, it can have dysregulatory effects on metabolic, vascular, and inflammatory pathways. We just talked about one of them. But one way is that the adipose tissue produces estrogen, which can lead to hormone imbalances and decreased fertility. And remember, and you you all well know this, is that the the sex hormone cascade has to be so precise and perfect. So if anything's off a little bit, it really can mess things up. The cycle, the lining, the like every part delay, like all of it. So we want our body to be able to work its best. And we can see that adipose tissue itself, insulin also, and inflammation can make it more difficult, can throw things off. Okay. So here is the good news. (laughs) We need some now. That's like interesting intellectually, but you know, we would like some good news. The good news is, is that weight loss decreases inflammation. It increases insulin sensitivity and balances your hormones that way. Okay. That's awesome, right? So we can get ourselves into a position where we have excess, but when, if we do something about it, it reverses the processes. That is so awesome. That is such good news. I love that news, which is, which is what I love about all this, right? So, and, and the thing that I learned in that first conference was that all it takes is 5%. 5%. So we're, we don't have to get down to size two. All we have to do is change the processes, change the the direction of the insulin sensitivity, decrease some inflammation by decreasing some adipose tissue. And 5% is a great threshold. So they've shown increased pregnancy rates and and pregnancy outcomes. I mean, it's so fantastic. So this is my mission on the planet. And I am intent on bringing you along, showing you how this is possible, because it really is possible. And I know saying 5% sometimes when you've tried over and over again to lose five pounds and keep it off, I I know that 5% can sound big, but I promise you we can do it. (laughs) It is possible. I've done it over and over and over again with people. And the best part about it is that there is no deprivation or restriction here. It just, I mean, first of all, it doesn't feel good. But second of all, it doesn't work. So There is another way we can do it, 5%. And then of course, anything past 5% is gravy and fabulous. Your body just keep like it, the system just keeps working better and better and better. And so this is the way, (laughs) so exciting. So that's it. I would love for you to stick with me. I will show you how. And if you found this info valuable, make sure to follow and share the podcast. And we can always connect on Instagram. I'm at Stephanie Fine MD. That is the first episode, my friends. I am so excited for you to be here. That's the why. That's what I I always have in the back of my mind thinking about when we're losing weight, when we're working on that. And I don't spend a ton of time on that, but I think it's a good place to lay this groundwork because you are doing something extraordinary inside when you are changing the way you're eating or the way you're thinking about eating but and losing some weight. And I am your biggest cheerleader. So join me here every week and we will figure out how to do this, okay? Wonderful. Have a fabulous day. Bye. If you follow, share, rate and review this podcast, you'll be helping it reach others just like you 
and making their journey with weight loss and fertility just a bit easier. Lighten their load. Share in your groups and social media. Thank you, fabulous. Fabulous.